After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in here. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Josh, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of full speed into the holiday season. Are you? I am. There's no way not to be at this point, Todd. If not, you better just hang on because we're going there. We're getting there fast. <laughs> okay. So this also means, you know, lifetime Christmas movies <laughs> nonstop on multiple networks. So I noticed I noticed you were having a bit of fun with it on social media, and that was great. Really, really enjoyed that. But think about this now. I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's a tale of two officials in stripes. They have strong feelings for each other, but a conflict of international and NHL rule books and the headshot rule seems to be destined to keep them apart. That is, until one magical day, when a man from the North with some Christmas magic amends the rule book. Candace Cameron Bure and Lacey Chabert star in Christmas on Ice. Do you think this could happen? I, I do. And I love it. And I also love the fact that it requires a magical man from the North Pole to fix the rule book. <laughs> I think that's the only way that those two will ever get together myself. That is wonderful. That is uh, truly a story for the ages. If you haven't determined already, this is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels. You get the cool stuff from Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram at Todd Lewis Sports for me on both Twitter and Instagram as well. On this week's episode, Truba trucks the competition, more friendly fire, and a few bad words. No net, but no goal this time. Keep looking, that went in. A Kachuk slash and spear, Bennington banished, and a goalie fight in the NHL. That's almost as wide-ranging as that whole movie plot I just laid out. Just about. Man, this is a, this is a blockbuster. <laughs> okay, so... I want to talk about Jacob Truba and the New York Rangers. The defenseman and captain of the Rangers was heavily criticized, we'll say, by some members of the public, the media, and certainly the Chicago Blackhawks for, uh, let's just say, delivering thundering body checks, notably to Andreas Athanasiu. The Hawks didn't like him. There was a bunch of stuff that got stirred up because of it, but he wasn't penalized, and I don't think any of the hits, as they stand now, described in the NHL rulebook, were illegal. No, and that, I think, is, is well, I guess it's a testament. I know some don't feel that they're always legal, but Jacob Truba is up on the rulebook, or at least on where the line is when it comes to some of those rules, because he's he's towing things just on the side of avoiding penalties and supplemental discipline for some of these hits. And I, I know Andreas Athenasau wasn't too happy about it, but holy cow, uh, if he's doing it legally, and, it, and there's definitely a line there. This is all interpretation. This is a whole lot of different levels of gray. But, uh, you know, when he's challenging them for hitting high or not worrying about the puck and trying to hurt people, he's delivering a hit and he's he's doing it per the NHL within the rules. And I understand that it's 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 difficult 
especially when you see a, another player injured on a play or absolutely rocked by a, a, a thundering body check because we see them pretty infrequently now in the National Hockey League. And if you want to have a debate about what is and isn't legal or what should or shouldn't be legal, that's a whole other thing. But as it's described in the rule book, he didn't do anything illegal. You know, you 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 hit through the core of the body. You are allowed to move in a somewhat upward trajectory. Should you be? That's the question. But I don't know. I it, And if the frustrating part to me is that it always seems to draw the response, in air quotes, and everybody pairs up and there's usually at least one fight afterwards. Right. And, and we've hit on that before about taking the law into your own hands, unlike on the people's court where you, you don't have Judge <laughs> Wapner or, or whoever steps into his robe to take over here. And the players really do have to leave it in the hands of the officials. I know sometimes it's frustrating, but when you start dropping the gloves after a potentially legal hit, you might put yourself in a worse spot. We've seen a handful of games over the past week, one last night even, where a team would have had an advantage. They would have been on the power play, but because they sought to stick up for their teammate, they find themselves either four on four or shorthanded, and it, it doesn't necessarily benefit the team to do it. I know you want to send the message and you want to stick up for the guy, but sometimes you're putting yourself and your team at a disadvantage by doing so. Absolutely. Okay, we've mentioned the name Matthew Kachuk of the Florida Panthers, I'm sure at least once previously on the podcast. In a game this past weekend against the Winnipeg Jets, Kachuk got bumped by Jets defenseman Brendan Dillon. He didn't care for it. So how shall we say he used his stick to express his displeasure that action left Dillon laying in a heap on the ice trying to catch his breath, if you get my drift. The officials did take some time and and look at it and decided it warranted a two-minute minor for slashing. There were only a couple of angles available, not the most conclusive, but honestly, I disagree with this assessment. And I think the site-challenged Florida broadcasters were even amazed that a penalty was called. But it wasn't a full hoisting, but it was some nasty stick work by Matthew Kachuk, I thought. It was. And spearing is one of those rules that, that always gets me because it is so clearly defined in the rule book of stabbing an opponent with the point of the stick blade. And it is a spearing penalty whether you make contact or not. If you don't make contact, if you miss in trying to spear an opponent, it's automatically a double minor. If you make contact, it's a major and then if you injure an opponent, it's a match penalty. It's really straightforward. And sometimes I wish, and I know it's based on sight lines and the angles and what you see on the ice, but I wish that the league would call it and stick to it for those spears because it's a dangerous play. And it's one that we have so clearly laid out in the rule book that it, it amazes me sometimes that we don't follow that interpretation for this particular situation. I know there's lots of gray areas, but for a spear, let's call a spear a spear. Let's let's hand out the appropriate penalty. And, and that's what this looked like. I I agree with you, and I'm wondering, because of the way you describe the rule so so perfectly, is I wonder if it's difficult sometimes for the referees to gauge intent. As you said, it's a it's a minimum double minor if you attempt to spear and miss. And is it is it the hard part gauging for sure whether or not that was a spear or something less nefarious. I mean, it, it definitely is when you're looking at you, what was the motion. And I've talked to a few officials who try to look at like, was the movement of the stick parallel to the shaft of the stick? As in, was it like a jab or a poke versus a, an angular movement where the stick is being swung? So you're looking at that to factor that in. You're looking at what was his intent? Was he trying to jab the guy? Was he trying to wrestle his stick loose? Was he just taking a whack and it, and it caught the opposing player? So you're right. We've got a lot of different things at play. 
you've got 10 skaters out on the ice that these officials are trying to watch, keeping track of sticks, pucks, players at all times. And, and it isn't always the easiest. We do have replay, though. And when when you get a spearing penalty or a spearing major that's called, you have the opportunity to take a look and affirm or, or overturn the call. So I think those situations, I was surprised with them taking a look at it. Why wouldn't you call this a spearing penalty? And you do have the option to talk to the linesman or the other referee in hopes that one of them gets a better angle. But, you know, Todd... I don't I don't want to refer back to the off suggested referee eye in the sky or the referee <gasps> off the ice. But these types of situations would would benefit greatly from exactly that. Hmm. Just leaving that one right there for you to ponder and think about for a little while. But it, it absolutely is a very difficult and challenging job. And we had more officials in the firing line recently. no. Not from fans, no, not from coaches' criticism, but from pucks flying out on the ice. David Brisebois and Michelle Cormier, oh, both of those look very painful to watch. I don't, I don't know. You've got professional hockey players making hundreds of thousands, often millions of dollars a year. These guys are paid to shoot the puck into a four foot by six foot net and <laughs> miss a goaltender that's standing in the way. I would say that's, that's baseline job requirement. How you cannot miss a linesman who is obstructing your shot. I mean, it doesn't benefit you to hit him. How can you not aim past the official? These guys are doing everything they can to get out of the way. As a professional athlete whose job it is to shoot pucks, we expect better. Do better, guys. <sighs> yeah, and I, there was there was another incident this past week involving uh, an on-ice official and, uh, well, let's just say some less-than-family-friendly words. And Chris Rooney had apparently seen and heard enough from Shea Theodore of the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't know what he said, I don't know what he did, <laughs> but Chris Rooney did not want to see him anymore. No, that was that was a good one. You're calling a penalty on the guy, and I, uh, guys like to argue a little bit, and the officials do give leeway. I mean, nobody's handing out unsportsmanlike conduct penalties for them objecting when they're chatting on the way to the box. They get plenty of leeway there, but Rooney had heard enough and not so politely reminded Theodore to exit the playing surface. And I think it was effective. He, he went. Certainly got his point across yes. at, at that particular one. There was another situation in a game between the Arizona Coyotes and the Vancouver Canucks where I wasn't sure if it was going to count as a goal. I thought it might after a previous ruling earlier this year, but it turned out it was not counted as a goal. Neil Zaman of the Vancouver Canucks shot the puck into the Coyotes' goal after the net was dislodged earlier. We saw a similar situation a few weeks ago. Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman Mark Giordano shot the puck into a dislodged net, and that goal counted. Why did this shot not count as a goal this time, Josh? This was an interesting one, and this one, under the current rule, I thought may have counted because they've introduced a bit more ambiguity since rewriting the rule around dislodge. Oh, good. Nets. That's what we need. Yeah, right? They changed it prior to the start of last season, and it was a, a little known change. It wasn't a big deal. The previous rule required that the player have shot the puck or be in the act of shooting the puck at the time the net was knocked off. So for Giordano, that goal still would have counted because he had already shot the puck or had already been in the act of it when the net came off. The new rule requires that there be an imminent scoring opportunity. So we went from shooting, had shot, in the act of shooting, to whatever an imminent scoring opportunity is. And we've learned that shooting is an imminent scoring opportunity, but 
Playing the puck on a rebound shot into a displaced net is apparently not an imminent scoring opportunity. That was the differentiator here is that Giordano's initial shot is what went in. The shot from Aman was a rebound shot. There was a save there. The net came off prior to him shooting that rebound into the net. So if I were interpreting this under the old rule, this is this is clean to me. This is Giordano's goal counts. This one doesn't. That imminent scoring opportunity, though, it left it up for interpretation. And, and it took this ruling to show us what exactly the league's looking at when it comes to an imminent scoring chance and what is an imminent scoring chance. And this was not. So maybe we should remove some of the ambiguity (laughs) by saying an imminent scoring opportunity does not include a rebound shot. Because if if, if the puck is on your stick and the net is open, that seems like an imminent scoring opportunity, whether it's an initial shot or a rebound to me. And and you know what? I'll, I'll go with the league's new rule, the way it's written. I'm okay with that. And I would have been okay with the Amon goal counting because I do think this is part of a continuous play. Yes, there's a rebound, but the puck's still there. He's still playing it. Play is continuing. This wasn't clear to the sideboards for a point shot. This wasn't anything where it was something other than a continuation of the initial shot, the save, and the rebound. So based on that rule, this this looked about as imminent of a scoring opportunity as you could have expected. So I thought for sure this was going to be a goal, that that, that rule allows it. But it looks like the interpretation, or at least the casebook side of things, is is not enough, and we're still looking at that imminent scoring opportunity potentially being defined as the act of shooting. Just to confuse matters a little further, I want to throw up another case in terms of goal, no goal, what should, what shouldn't be allowed. They're They're not directly related, but... I think you'll see where I'm going with this. And that involves the Winnipeg Jets-Dallas Stars game where Jason Robertson scored into a wide open net after Connor Hellebuck lost his mask in a collision and was down and out. Should that goal have counted? Oh, goodness gracious. Boy, yeah, the the crazy goaltender helmet rule comes back right. again because... Because <clears throat> we need more ambiguity. <laughs> Absolutely. It's... It's scary, and I know everybody wants the whistle to blow, and the rule for goaltenders with their helmets is that play continues while the opposing team has possession of the puck and an imminent scoring opportunity. So it's fine. You blow the whistle when your team has possession, but if the other team has a scoring chance, the rule is that the officials have to let play continue. And the crazy part about it is the most dangerous situation for a goaltender without a helmet is when the opposing team has an imminent scoring <laughs> chance. So yes. it doesn't get any worse than that when it comes to safety. And, you know, fans have said, what, what is he supposed to do? Make a save without his helmet? And the answer, according to the rule book, is yes, that, that's exactly what he's supposed to do. It's a dangerous spot for a goalie. I think there probably is going to be some desire by the league to tighten that rule up a little bit and, and look for a whistle. With the inverse being you have to penalize. You have to watch and come after goaltenders who are removing their helmets. I mean, it's already a delay of game penalty if the goaltender shakes his helmet off or removes it to stop play. But certainly, if if they know it's an immediate stoppage that might be more motivational or, or might even be preferable, if you've got a great scoring opportunity, maybe you'd rather have the penalty and, and just get that whistle to stop play so your team can regroup. So I think that's the hard part is balancing that you want to protect the goaltender, but we know from... Roger Nielsen on to Braden Holtby to everybody who's found ways to try to make the rules work to their benefit, people would be taking advantage. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And that's, I think, the the thought process behind why the rule is the way it is, because they know goaltenders will cheat. 
Well, speaking of goaltenders, because we don't give them enough attention here on the podcast, how about Jordan Bennington of the St. Louis Blues, who's been getting a lot of attention lately? Not really for stopping the puck, but for throwing some pretty wild body checks. Uh, maybe it's interference. He also got some attention for chirping an opponent's bench. Bennington was pulled during a game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and as he was heading towards his bench, the mask came off and he skated closer to the Pens bench and, well, let's just say extended some greetings to the players along the bench. Now, he was given a 10-minute misconduct here. He's out of the game, so not really a big deal, but what happens if a goaltender is still in the game and gets a 10-minute misconduct? Shouldn't they actually have to serve that? He doesn't. He wouldn't have to. He is allowed to play in the game. Somebody would be serving that 10-minute misconduct in the box for him, unless he gets a game misconduct penalty, in which case he's not returning to the game. But yes, the 10-minute the misconduct penalty, he does get to have somebody else do the time when he does the crime. And I think it's funny. I mean, I'm glad that they, they handed something out. He was deserving of it there. But we've seen so many news stories about Bennington coming out lately from uh, The Athletic, USA Today, Sportsnet, all talking about Bennington's antics. And it's it's always his antics. I love, the, yes. I love wording it that way. And, you know, sh- should they tolerate it or should the NHL deal with this? What do you want them to do? I mean, if he violates the rules, he gets penalized. And he did in this case. And I'm sure the officials are all well aware of what he's doing and to watch out for that sort of behavior. But beyond that, I mean, you can't suspend the guy. You can't find him for antics unless he does something specific. He did get away with a bottle toss years ago, which I, we've seen fines issued for that. But I mean, unless he escalates his behavior, there's really not much you can do other than watch, wait and see, hand out penalties. And uh, if he keeps escalating, maybe there's something. But no, there's there's really nothing the league can do other than penalize him per the rules. And, and apparently the officials are willing to do that. <laughs> I I would pay to see a goaltender sit in the box in full gear though and serve a penalty. I would love it. I want the coaches to sit in there for bench miners. <laughs> Too many men on the ice. Sorry, coach, bench miner. We're we're taking that to the extreme. You are sitting in the box for two. I like that. See, I like where we're going. Okay, one more quickie for goalies. Two decided that they were going to join in some shenanigans during a nasty game between the Ottawa 67s and the Peterborough Peets. For their efforts, Ottawa's Colin McKenzie, Peterborough's Liam Sutska each got three game suspensions for goalie fight, goalie fight, goalie fight. Kind of a message being sent here, Josh? I don't know, man. It doesn't happen that often. It's a fight. We've got willing combatants here. I can't believe it. It was a three-game suspension. I, I know that, you know, we're not trying to promote fighting and it, it's something that happens, but holy cow. I, I, I think in the OHL, you're looking at a situation where a goalie fight does result in an automatic game misconduct. So any goaltender that leaves their crease to enter into an altercation with the opposing goaltender gets a major penalty for fighting. They're tossed for the game. That's rule 4617 in the OHL. And I think that's fair. I'll give you that. But a three-game suspension, come on. Everybody loves a goalie fight. I don't I don't think banning these guys. You're not sending a message. I mean, I guess you are to the other goalies of we're not going to tolerate it. But if the other guys can fight, why not let the goalies fight? Come on. Equal rights for all is yes, what you're saying. Yeah, goalie, goalie equality here. That's what we're looking for. Okay. One more to get to on this edition of the Scudding the Rest podcast. After a very lengthy video review. I think it's still going. I think oh. that's <laughs> You may be right. It was a game between the Islanders and the Chicago Blackhawks. Matt Martin pushes the puck towards the net. Hawks goaltender Arvid Soderblom stops the puck and pushes it back out into play. And the play went on 
and on and on. And both teams went back and forth having chances. But when the play did eventually get stopped and there was a TV timeout, the two officials, Corey Savret and Kyle Raymond, went to have a look at it. And I, I, I think they went down a real rabbit hole, as Josh said. They may still be looking at it, checking things out. But it turns out the puck did completely cross the line. It was a good goal. And that means we went back in time and all that had taken place afterwards was wiped out again as if it had never happened. This is a weird one. It doesn't happen very often. No, this is one of the longer ones that uh, that we can remember. There was uninterrupted play for over two minutes and apparently the league was still reviewing it during that time. If they're confident and they know that a goal's been scored and the puck's clearly over the line, they'll sound the horn. We've all heard that play stops and, and we, we know what happens. If the horn sounds, you know it's going to be a goal. It was not clear. So they had to take advantage of that stoppage in play and then drag out the stoppage by pulling the officials over to complete the review. This was one where we went back and watched the tape and we're just ticking off on the sheet here to see it was I think it, the, the final tally was two or three shots on goal, uh, a handful of block shots, some shot attempts. We had extended offensive zone possession by both teams, all of that wiped out. And the only thing that wouldn't have been wiped out, and unfortunately for these teams, there wasn't one, would be a penalty because the penalties would still be assessed. I'm I'm glad that we didn't have to do that. That always creates some confusion around what's going on. How do we rewind the clock and still assess the penalty? But the, the biggest part, and, and I guess just from watching these games that I was worried about, was that somebody else was going to score. And depending on who scored the goal, it would be wiped out because only one goal can be scored at a stoppage in play. So when they went back to check that one, can you imagine, Todd, had, had the Chicago Blackhawks scored a goal there that we would have gone back, wiped out the Blackhawks goal and then awarded the Islanders goal? Oh, that's, uh, that's quite a moment. So let me get this straight. All the, the shots, the block shots and everything, the stats get wiped out. If a goal had been scored, that would have been wiped out. But the penalty will always count. You cannot escape the long arm of the law. We're done! Good job! You're good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's, uh, nicely done. That's good work.